Good morning, beloved. How it's good to see everybody that's here. You know, I was uh, I was telling Jenny last night that you know you guys are really missed. I I've really missed both of you. You know, we we're just sitting there talking last night and just enjoying talking with with both of you yesterday, and you know, just seeing you it warmed our hearts. And we know that you will leave on Thursday, and so, but you guys are very well missed to let you know. Okay, if you would, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start in the chapter 2 today. I think we got a couple of people on Zoom, right? So hello on Zoomers. So, okay, let's pray and then we'll start. Father, we just come to you and we thank you, Lord, that we can come and worship you, Father, in song and giving and now in the preaching of your word. Father, we thank you for Christ, Lord, that he, that he did empty himself of all of his glory and his privilege. Lord, and we just thank you that he identifies with us, that we have one in heaven who can sympathize with us Lord, that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, yet without sin. And Father, we thank you for such a tremendous high priest that we have who intercedes for us. Lord, I just ask that you would forgive me of my sin this morning, Lord. Lord, that you would cleanse my heart of my pride, my arrogance, my bitterness. Lord, and I just ask that you would Use me, Father, as a conduit of your love and of your grace. Lord, and I just pray that you would bless those that are here today, Father, with your word, that we would be encouraged in your word today, Father, that we would be convicted in your word today. And I echo the prayers of Dick, Lord, that you would have safe travels for Martin and Brigetta, Lord, and also for Chad and Lori as they travel back. And for Pete and Carla, Lord, what a blessing it is to have them here today and ask that you would be with them as they travel back to San Antonio, Father, and that they would be a blessing in the church you have them as much as they are a blessing here. So, Father, we ask that you would just be glorified in all these things. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so Paul's going to kind of change a little bit of a dynamics here. As we go, as we've looked at how he has uh, urged Timothy and charged Timothy to confront the false teachers, and he has showed us what the law is, how to properly use the law. He tells us of his own conversion, and we see where he has charged Timothy to war the good warfare, to fight the good warfare. And now he's going he's gonna to move, and we're going to see in chapter 2, he's going to start dealing with the church. He's going to start dealing with the church, and we're going to see in chapter 2 and in chapter 3 where he's, he's going to start instructing the church in, in where they should, should be moving in the direction they should be moving towards. So I have a question to ask you first. Two questions to ask you first. The first question is, do we really understand the desperate position the lost are in? 
those who are without Christ, do you and I really, truly, deeply understand their predicament? And we, of all people, should, because God has revealed to us that predicament that we were in, and he saved us out of that predicament. So, but do we really see that those people that are around us who are not believers, do we really see them according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh and the predicament that they are in? And secondly, do you see yourself as a life-saving instrument in the hands of the one who does the redeeming? Essentially, do you see yourself as a lifeguard jumping in the water to save the one that is drowning? And that's what Paul kind of addresses today. He addresses us in our prayer life and where we should be praying, not only in our personal life, but when we gather together corporately to pray also. And so look with me at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. This is what the apostle says to Timothy. And God is saying to us, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So verse 8 we'll deal with this week and next week, Lord willing. So, first of all, this is what we see. We see this call to pray for all men. This is what we see. And the first thing that we see, the first point I want us to look at is that Paul prioritizes the gospel, right? He prioritizes gospel prayer. He wants us to pray not only for those that are near and dear to us, but for the lost. And we see this in Paul's life. We see where Paul prays for Israel. And it's a, it's a desire in his heart that we, that we see. Listen to Romans 9, 1 through 4. Paul says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. That's who he's praying for, his brothers, his fellow Israelites, those who are unredeemed, those who are unbelievers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. And then in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, he says this, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So Paul had this desire in him to pray for the lost, to pray for those who didn't know Christ. And this is what he's charging Timothy with is to pray for all men, believers and unbelievers alike. And he says in 1 Timothy 2.1, first of all then, he prioritizes it. 
He's saying, first of all, this is what I want you to do, Timothy. After we deal with all the, all the teaching, this is what I want you to do. Pray. This is what we do. We pray. What does prayer do? Prayer shows us that we are not independent, but prayer shows us that what? We are people in need, and we are dependent upon a holy God. So it's a beautiful thing that he tells Timothy to do. Tell the church, pray. Well, who are we to pray for? We're to pray for all men. And how are we doing this? He says, supplication, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving. So supplication, prayers, and intercession, it all is encompassed in the whole thing, right? It's all encompassed. But if we break it down just a tad bit, supplication is a prayer request rising out of need. Supplication is a prayer request rising out of need. Knowing what is lacking, we plead with God to supply it. So when we make supplication to God, it's more, more of what we need. We're asking him what we need. We're praying for what we need. This prayer, prayer is earnest prayer to God. It's worship and reverence to God. It's to pray for God to save the lost so that we might glorify God in his saving work. It's to have that conversation with God, to pray with God. Intercession is to get involved in someone. To get involved with someone is used in relation to Christ and the Spirit's intercession work. To, for us to intercede for others, right? When we pray and we lift, our, when we lift each other up in prayer, we're interceding for each other. We want to come in as we pray for those lost, those family members that are lost, those friends that are lost, those co-workers that are lost. We want to come before God and we want to intercede for them that God would save them and open their eyes up to his glory. And thanksgiving is to pray with gratitude and thankfulness to God. This is what Paul is saying, first of all, these supplications, these prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. So a gospel-centered prayer, a prayer for the lost, is not heartless, but it is a prayer that is filled with care and passion for the person that you're praying for. Does that reflect your prayer life for those in our family or those within our uh, our um, our spheres that are unsaved? Do we pray for them in such those ways? Do we pray for those in those ways? It's so easy to pray for the church body, right? It's so easy to pray for each other. But it's, it's not always that easy to pray for the lost. Because sometimes those people that we're praying for, we don't always get along with. We don't always like. We don't always care for. But when we start to view them, with eyes according to the spirit and not according to the flesh, we would see their dire predicament and we would have a heart for them. Our prayers, brothers and sisters, must embrace the globe, not just near and dear. They must embrace the globe. Secondly, we see that this prayer is a prayer for all men. 1 Timothy 2.1 First of all, then I urge the supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all persons, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly, dignified in every way. All people, we just talked about that, believers and unbelievers. We are to pray for believers to be, to be sensitive to God, to be sensitive to his leading, to be uh, repentant believers. And we're to pray for the lost to be, to be repentant and come to God, right? We, we see that God commands that all men are to repent in Acts 17.30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands 
all people everywhere to repent. Salvation is offered to all, Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So who are the all people? We're, we're to pray for those who are in high places, high positions, right? What does this mean? These are people that maybe we're not so close with. Our bosses, our government officials, right? Not only uh, the, the government government, but our, our state government and our, our local governments. We're, we're to pray for them. We're to pray for, for those who are in high positions. I mean, think about the Ephesians who they were to pray for. Paul is urging Timothy to tell them to pray for Nero, who was a Christian killer. He was a bloodthirsty man. He was vile and debased in every way. And they were to pray for him. Brothers and sisters, we're the same way. We are charged to pray for those that we are bitter with, that those we can be most angry with, with those we can be the most judgmental with. We are to pray for their salvation. And what is, what is it, uh, uh, John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, if the church today took the time and energy it spends on political maneuvering and lobbying and poured themselves into intercessory prayer, we might see a profound impact on our nation. If we take all the time, and this was convicting to me, if I took all the time in the barbershop that I complain about politics, and the people in politics. If I took all the time that I, that I complain about all these things that are going on, all these social groups that are out there that are dividing us, if I took all that time and I spent in prayer, that's what MacArthur's saying, there might be a profound impact on our nation if we took that time to pray for them. Just staggering, just staggering. So, But he also gives us, Paul gives us a reason why we are to pray for all men, and this is in verse 2. He says, for kings and who are in high positions, that we, that we, you and I, brothers and sisters, may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Isn't that the kind of life we want to live? So here's what it is, quiet life. A quiet life is no outside disturbance, right? We don't want any outside disturbance. A peaceful life is no inward disturbance, those are what those words are meaning to us. So we are not the ones who are to be the ones who are outside causing disturbances. We're not to be the ones that are causing all kinds of ruckus. We're to be the ones who are praying. We're the ones that are to be in intercessory prayer so that we may live lives that are quiet and peaceful, committed to God, so that even the unbeliever when he sees our acts of goodness and our acts of kindness, they will praise God. That's the life we're to leave. 1 Peter 2.12 says it this way, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of, redemption, or on the day of salvation. To pursue a quiet and peaceful life, you and, us, you and I must chase after godliness. This is what verse 2 tells us, right? That we are to live a quiet, peaceful life. 
godly, dignified lives. We're to live lives of holiness. We're to live lives of holiness, pursuing after Christ. We're to live lives of our calling, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we see that Paul talks about godliness to Timothy throughout Timothy. Listen to 1 Timothy 3.16. Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. Talking about Christ. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. In 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise to present life also for the life that it, for the life to come. So he's saying that exercise is good, right? It's to profit, but godliness is of value in every way. 1 Timothy 6.3, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. And finally, in 1 Timothy 6.11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Is that what you're pursuing? Are you pursuing riches and honor and fame and glory? But brothers and sisters, are we pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness? These are the things we should be pursuing. We're to live not only godly lives, but dignity, dignified lives, honest, moral earnestness, moral lives, a commitment to a holy life, a commitment to a moral holy life. We are to be the ones who hold the standard of morality up high in our lives that we live. Titus 2.7 says it this way, show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity and dignity. This describes us. This describes us. This way of praying is not to live a quiet middle class life. That's what we really want, right? We want the quiet middle-class life where there's no struggles, there's no trials, there's no tribulations. Just leave me alone. Let me go to work. I'll work my eight hours. Give me my tape paycheck. I'll go to the store. I'll buy my food, right? Just this quiet, peaceful life. And I got to admit, when I first started reading this, that's what I thought that verse meant. I thought it meant that, hey, look, if I just pray for everybody in high places, that I'm going to have this nice life. (laughs) But that's not true. That's not true. That's not what this verse is telling us. Because if that was true, if that was true that we're going to have these nice, easy, relaxed lives, if if we pray for our president, then Paul never would have wrote this in 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That is not a peaceful, 
middle class life. We will be persecuted. You and I are going to face persecution. It shouldn't surprise us when we face persecution if we're living this kind of life. But, it, but when we choose to live this life, it's honoring to God. It's a God-honoring life that we're after. This is what he says we are to pray for, is these people, all men, pray for the lost. Pray for them. Why? Because it honors him. It honors him. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 3-5. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption in, that is in this world because of sinful desires. For this very reason make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So we're going to come across these things, and these, these trials are going to hit us. So we see that when we pray, we're to pray for the lost, we're to pray for all men. This should be of the first importance for us. And it tells us the reason we're to pray is so that our lives will not be a big disturbance, but we will show godliness and dignity. But now what Paul tells us is he gives us encouragement. Why should you and I pray for the lost? Why should we pray for the lost? And I, I think he puts this in here because I believe that in, in reading some of the stuff that the Ephesians got into this area where the Ephesian church got in this area, where they would just pray for the elect. That was it. They would just pray for one another. They would just pray for those people that were saved. They wouldn't pray for anybody else. They would just pray for it. So they became their own clique. They became their own club is what they did. And they, they wouldn't want anything else. And Paul was like, that's not what this is about. The gospel needs to go out. The gospel needs to be spread. And so he gives us encouragement to pray. In verses 3 through 7, here comes the, the encouragement. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. There is our encouragement that is why we pray for the lost. That is why we pray for God to bring people in here. That is why we pray for us to go out and proclaim the gospel. That is why we pray for God to open doors for us. That is why we pray for God to let us speak the truth to people, to give us boldness to speak the truth to people. Why? Because it is right. Prayer for the lost is right to do. He says this, this is good. It is good. It is morally good. It is a good thing for you and I to sit or to bend the knee or to gather together and pray for the lost. And not only that, but it is pleasing to God our Savior. It's pleasing, acceptable. This word means to warmly welcome. So it is pleasing to God when we bring the lost to him in prayer. It is pleasing to him. He welcomes that kind of prayer. 2 Timothy 1.10 says this, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
or of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So we see that even this, did I mess that one up? No, I, did I read the wrong, wrong one, Angela? Okay, right, First Timothy 4.10. Because we want to be consistent with our Savior, he says this, For this end we toil and strive because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Right? So the encouragement for us to pray, sorry I got lost there, the encouragement for us to pray is it is good and it is, a, and it is pleasing and it is, in, and it is consistent with Christ being our Savior. This is why we pray for the lost. Secondly, we pray for the lost because God desires for all men to be saved. He desires for us to pray for them. 1 Timothy 2.4 who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. That is God's desire. God's desires for all people to be saved, for all people to be come to the knowledge of truth. Now, is everybody going to be saved? No. Not everybody is going to be saved. So this could get really complicated when we all of a sudden bring in predestination and we bring in election, but that is not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about God's desire for all men to be saved. Like, I have a desire. I have a desire today after church to go home and relax. That is my desire. But the plan is, is to go and do some stuff that Jenny has to get done. That's the plan. So my desire is completely different. That's a weak example, but it might be one that we can look at, that God desires all this. And because God desires all this, we see that it is, it is consistent with who he is. It's consistent with God's nature. Listen to Isaiah forty-five twenty-two. This is what the Lord says. Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Ezekiel 18.23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? Declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? We see his desire for all men, for the wicked, is to turn and to be saved and to come to the knowledge of him. Again, in Ezekiel 33, 11, he says this, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? He's calling them back, to come back, to come back. He doesn't desire the wicked to be saved, or to be uh, to die. He doesn't desire that. He wants them to be saved. What about the people in your life? What about that coworker that you just can't stand? Is your desire for them to be saved? To come to the knowledge of God? Or do you pray for them for a bus to hit them? Right? That's a true story. I don't know if I've ever shared that with you guys. But I, was, I, I would have lunch with this dear brother. His name was, his name was Dave. And uh, gosh, what was Dave's last name? Anyways, Jenny is telling me to go. So anyways, uh, Dave and I were talking one day, and he had this problem with this, with this guy that was in the church at the time. His name was Phil. And so I told him, I said, Dave, you just got to pray for Phil. 
He's like, well, I am praying for Phil. I said, what are you praying for? He goes, I get, I'm praying you get hit by a bus. <laughs> he goes, you never told me how to pray for him. You just said to pray for him. So, but are, are we praying for those people that, that, that we just don't get along with? Is that our desire for them? Is the same desire that God has, that they won't perish? Is that the same desire? Brothers and sisters, that's a desire we need to have for them, is that they won't perish that they won't perish. And then finally in 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So uh, John MacArthur quotes this again. God's desire, all men, God's desires, all men to be saved. It is their willful rejection of him that sends them to hell. The biblical truths of election and predestination do not cancel. I want you to hear this. Do not cancel man's moral responsibility. God never sends anybody to hell. It is man's willful rejection of his son. And it doesn't cancel out predestination and election. Maybe we should have a Sunday school on that, Dick. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to go a little bit deeper in there. So not only that, but our, our, our encouragement to pray is because of God's sovereign work. Look at verses five and six. For there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We are to pray for the lost because of the, the uh, exclusivity of our God. That is why we pray for the lost, because of his exclusivity. I can't even say the word. I don't even know why I put it in there. And here's that, that there is one God. He is exclusive. There is one God. There's not many gods we pray to. There's only one God. And since there is one God, then that means he is the God of all people. He is the creator of all men, Jew and Gentile alike. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and from whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. These aren't in there, Angela. And Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, There is one body, one spirit, just as we were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We have one God. That is why we pray the way that we pray, because he is the God over all things. He is one God. Not only that, but we have one mediator. We don't pray to one God with many mediators. There's not one God, but yet Mary intercedes. There's not one God, and yet Muhammad intercedes. No, there's one God And there's one mediator who is God too. He is God the Son. There is one mediator. A mediator is one who mediates between two parties. Christ being fully God and fully man does this perfectly. He is able to mediate for us down here with this hand. And he is able to reach God with this hand. He's the absolute perfect mediator for us. He stands perfectly in the position that we need him to stand. 
He is the perfect mediator. He is the perfect intercessor. Hebrews 9.15 puts it this way. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. Hebrews 12.24 And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better words than the blood of Abel. Jesus is the perfect mediator. This gives us encouragement to continue to pray and to pray. Why? Because we have the perfect mediator. We have the perfect high priest. You may think, oh, but I can't pray very well, Mark. It doesn't matter. The Holy Spirit gets your prayers to God exactly how they are supposed to be. You just pray. Just pray. That's what we're we are charged to do is to pray, not only because there's one God and one mediator, but because there was one payment. One payment, and that payment is full, right? Not by the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by the blood of Christ. That is how we enter in. It is the one payment. Matthew twenty twenty eight. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to do it, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 puts it this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoptions as sons. There was one payment. The cross is the only payment that God is satisfied with. And Christ coming out of the grave is proof of that. There's only one payment. This should encourage us, brothers and sisters, that God desires all men to be saved. So why should we pray? Because he is one. We have a mediator that is one. And there was one payment. Finally, we have, as our last point, we see Paul's commission to the lost. Paul does not exempt himself from this. In verse 7, he says, For this reason I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. For the lost, that's the reason. To go to the lost, to go to the Gentiles. That was the reason he was appointed a preacher and a teacher was to go to them, to show them the gospel, right? Second Corinthians 5, brothers and sisters, we are commissioned as ambassadors. And what are we to do? We are to go to the people and preach the gospel. That is what we are to do. We are not to go and not preach the gospel. We are to go and preach the gospel. That is the commission. And Paul saw that this was his commission. And he says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul was the one who was to spread the gospel. This word to preach the gospel means to herald the gospel out. To call people to repentance to show them who Christ is. Paul believed that God desired all men to be saved. He believed that Christ was the only mediator, and he believed that Christ paid the ransom for many. And so he went and he preached the gospel of grace. And this is what you and I are to do. So verse 8, so what are you and I to do? This is what we are to do. I desire that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. This word quarreling means to 
not be committed to prayer. It has that, that tendency to it. So you and I, brothers and sisters, we are to pray. That's what we are to do. We're to pray for the lost. And we are to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel. And then we are to pray. We're to pray, preach, pray. That's how the church goes. We fight on our knees and we fight with the gospel. So my dear brothers and sisters, today may the Holy Spirit impart on your hearts the truth that you are an instrument, you are an instrument of life-saving capabilities in the hands of the Redeemer. May your prayer life be for those dear and near, but also may you be encouraged today to pray for those who are lost. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your blessing. Thank you again that we can just gather here today, Lord, and just study your word, look into your word, be encouraged by your word. Lord, I pray that Faith Bible Church would be a praying church, Lord. I pray that you would give us a desire in our hearts to pray for those that are lost, not only in our family, Lord, in our friends, but for those who truly need to hear your word. Bring those people into our lives, Lord, that we would show them the beauty and the glory of who your son is. And Lord, I pray for us here today that you would show us that, that you would truly open our eyes to the beauty and the glory of Christ, that we would believe it if within our own hearts before we share it to others. Lord, help us not to view men according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Help us to see their true predicament. For we ask this in your name to be glorified. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's stand and sing our last song.